Part 1 of Chapter 6 of How to Analyze People on Sight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. How to Analyze People on Sight Through the Science of Human Analysis The Five Human Types by Elsie Lincoln Benedict and Ralph Payne Benedict. Part 1 of Chapter 6 types that should marry and should not marry each other. I am so sorry to hear the Browns are getting divorced. I have known George and Mary for years, and they are as fine a man and woman as I ever saw, but they just don't seem to be able to get along together. How many times you have heard something like this! And the speaker got nearer the truth than he knew. For the Georges and Marys everywhere are, on the whole, fine men and women." married to the wrong one. Each one is all right in himself, but merely married to the wrong person, a fact we have recognized when both George and Mary made successes of their second ventures and lived happily ever after. Human happiness, as we have noted in the introduction to this volume, is attained only through doing what the organism was built to do in an environment that is favorable." Marriage is only the attempt of two people to attain these two ends individually, mutually, and simultaneously. Difficulties of Double Harness Now, since it is almost impossible for one to achieve happiness when untrammeled and free, is it to be wondered at that so few achieve it in double harness? For the difficulties to be surmounted are doubled, and the helps are halved by the presence of a running mate. Mere marriedness is not mating. That two can live on less than one is not true, but it is nearer the truth than that two can find ultimate happiness together easier than either can find an approximation of happiness alone. This is not saying that anyone who is unmated can have happiness as complete as that which comes to the rightly mated, for nothing else in life can compare with that, but they must be rightly mated, not merely married. No one who has observed or thought on this subject will deny that it is a thousand times better not to be married at all than to be married to the wrong person. Secrets Told by Statistics Surveys of the causes for divorce during the past ten years in the United States have revealed some startling facts, facts which only prove again that human analysis shows us the truth about ourselves as no science has ever shown it to us before. One of the most illuminating facts these surveys have revealed is that only those men and women can be happy together whose natures automatically encourage each other in the doing of the things each likes to do in the way each likes to do them. Inborn inclination determines the things every human being prefers to do concerning all the fundamental activities of his life and also the manner in which he prefers to do them. These inborn inclinations, as we have previously pointed out, are written all over us in the unmistakable language of type. When we know a man's type, we know what things he prefers to do in life's main experiences and how he prefers to do them and we know that unless he is permitted to do approximately what he wants to do in approximately the way he prefers, he becomes unhappy and unsuccessful. Infatuation No Guide 
These biological bents are so deeply embedded in every individual that no amount of affection, admiration, or respect, or passion for any other individual suffices to enable anyone to go through long years doing what he dislikes and still be happy. Only in the first flush of infatuation can he sacrifice his own preferences for those of another. After a while passion and infatuation ooze away. Nature sees to that, just as she sees to their coming in the first place. Then there return the old leanings, preferences, tendencies, and cravings inherent in the type of each. THE REAL REVERSION TO TYPE Under this urge of his type, each reverts gradually but irresistibly to his old habits, doing largely what he prefers to do in the ways that are to his liking. When that day comes, the real test of their marriage begins. If the distance between them is too great, they cannot cross that chasm, and therefore each lives a life inwardly removed from the other. They make attempts to cross the barrier, and some of these are successful for a short while. They talk to and fro across the void sometimes, but their communings become less frequent, their voices less distinct, until at last each withdraws into himself. There he lives, in the world of his own nature, as completely separated from his mate as though they dwelt on different planets. We can know. But how is one to know the right person, you ask? By recognizing science's recent discovery to the effect that certain types can travel helpfully, happily, and harmoniously together, and that certain others never can. What every individual owes to himself. Every individual owes it to himself to find the right work and the right mate, because these are fundamental needs of every human being. Lacking them, life is a failure. Possessing but one of them, life is half a failure. To obtain and apply the very fullest knowledge toward the attainment of these two great requisites should be the aim of every person. Neglected Subjects Despite the fact that these are the most vital problems pertaining to human happiness, and that every individual's life depends for its glory or defeat, joy or sorrow, upon the right settlement of them, they are two of the most neglected. Divorce Courts Our divorce courts are full of splendid men and women, who are there not because they are weak or wrong, but because they stepped into nature's age-old instinct trap without realizing where it would lead them. These men and women who pay so heavy a price for their ignorance and blindness are not to blame. Most of them have been taught that to be legally bound together was sufficient guarantee of marital bliss. But experience has shown us that there are certain kinds of people each individual can associate with in harmony, and that there are those with whom he could never be happy, though a hundred ministers pronounced them mated for life. Times will change. But the time is coming when we will select our mates scientifically, not merely sentimentally. It is also coming when we will know what every child is fitted to do by looking at him, just as we know better today than to set a shepherd-dog on the trail of criminals or a bloodhound to herd sheep. THE GREAT QUEST Instead of beclouding the significance and the sanity of life's great quest, instead of encouraging every manner of mismating, as we do today, we will some day arm our children with knowledge enabling them to wisely choose their life work and their life mate.
Dolly's Dimple The fact that Dolly has a dimple may make your senses whirl, but it is not sufficient basis for marriage. There are things of vastly greater importance, though of course this does not seem possible to you at the time. Sammy's Smile And though Sammy sports a smile the gods might envy, he may not be the right man for Dolly. Even a smile that never comes off, great lubricator that it undeniably is, is not sufficient foundation for a till-death-do-us-part contract. Little Things versus Big Things When we hear of a divorce, we assume that it was caused by the inability of those two people to agree upon fundamentals. We suppose that they found within themselves wide divergences of opinion, feeling, or attitude regarding really worthwhile questions, social, religious, political, or economic. We are inclined to imagine that the little things should take care of themselves, and that only the big things such as these should be allowed to separate two lives once they have been joined together. What the Records Show Yet the exact opposite is what happens, according to the divorce records of the United States. These records show that divorces do not arise out of differences in what we have always called the big things of life, but out of those things which we have always called the little ones. Why he can't change. We do not expect a husband or wife to change his religion and take on his partner's faith. We imagine this is an inherent thing, more or less deeply embedded in him, and not to be altered, while we consider it only fair and right for John to give up his favorite sport, his hobby, and some of his habits for Mary's sake. At the risk of shocking the supersensitive, it must be admitted that most individuals get their religious leanings from external sources, parents, teachers, ministers, friends, and especially by the accident of being born in a certain country, among a certain sect, or within a certain community. On the other hand, one's preferences in the matter of diversions are born in him, part and parcel of his very being, and remain so to the end of his life. Accordingly, just as it is easier to change the frosting on a cake than to change the inside, it is easier to change a man's religion than to change his activities. Diversion and Divorce Most of the divorces granted in America during the past ten years have been demanded, not on grounds dealing with the so-called fundamentals, but for differences regarding so-called unimportant things. And more than seventy out of every hundred divorces every year in this country are asked for on grounds pertaining to diversion. In other words, more than 70% of American divorces are granted because husbands and wives cannot adapt themselves to each other in the matter of how they shall spend their leisure hours. People who cannot play together will not work together long, said Albert Hubbard. Human analysis, which shows that each type tends automatically to the doing of certain things in certain ways whenever free to act, proves that this is just as literal as it sounds. The only time we are free to act is during our leisure hours. All other hours are mortgaged to earn a living, in the accomplishment of which we often have very little outlet for natural trends. So it is only after hours and over Sundays that the masses of mankind have an opportunity to express their real natures. Uncongenial work affects marriage. 
The less one's work permits him to do the things he enjoys, the more surely will he turn to them in the hours when this restraint is removed. If such a one has a husband or wife who encourages him in the following of his natural bents during leisure hours, that marriage stands a big chance of being happy. These two people may differ widely in their respective religious ideas. One may be a Catholic, the other a Protestant, or one a Shaker and the other a Christian scientist, but they can build lasting happiness together. On the other hand, two people who agree perfectly as to religious, social, and political views, but who cannot agree as to the disposition of their leisure hours, are bound for the rocks. As the honeymoon fades, each reverts to the kind of recreation congenial to his type. If his mate is averse to his diversions, each goes his own way. THE ETERNAL TRIANGLE the tragedy of the other man and the other woman is not a mystery to him who understands human analysis. It is always the result of finding someone of kindred standards and tastes, that is, someone whose type is congenial. The eternal triangle arises again and again in human lives, not accidentally, but as the inevitable result of violating inexorable laws. LAW OF MARITAL HAPPINESS Marriage should take place only between those whose first-type elements are sufficiently similar for them to enjoy the same general diversions, yet whose second-type elements are sufficiently dissimilar to make each strong where the other is weak. The application of the law to each of the five types will be explained in the following sections of this chapter. Part 1. The Alimentive in Love just as each type reacts differently to all the other situations in life, each reacts differently to love. The alimentive, as we have pointed out, is less mature than the other types, with the thoracic next, and so on down to the cerebral, which is the most mature of all. Because the alimentive has rightly been called the baby of the race, because no extremely fat person ever really grows up, this type prefers those love expressions natural to the immature the most affectionate type. Caressing, petting, fondling, and cuddling, those demonstrations not of wild passion but of affection such as children enjoy, are most often used by alimentive men and women when in love. Because they are inclined to bestow little attentions more or less promiscuously, they often get the reputation of being flirtatious when they are not. Such actions are often taken by the one to whom they are directed, as indicating more than the giver means. So beware of taking the little pats of fat people too seriously. They mean well, but have the baby's habit of bestowing innocent smiles and caresses everywhere. Why they are loved. Each type has traits peculiar to itself which tend to make others fall in love with it. In the alimentive, the outstanding trait which wins love is his sweet disposition. The human ego is so constituted that we tend to like all interesting people who do not offer us opposition. The alimentive is amenable, affable, agreeable. His ready smile, his tendency to promote harmony, and his general geniality bring him love and keep it for him, while more clever types lose it. Millionaires marry them. Why does a brilliant businessman marry that fat little woman who is not his equal mentally? The world has asked many a time. Human analysis answers it, 
as it answers so many of the other age-long queries about human eccentricities. The little fat woman has a sweet disposition, one of the most soothing of human attributes. The businessman has enough of brilliant people all day. When he gets home, he is rather inclined to be merely the tired businessman, and in that state nothing is more agreeable than a wife with a smile. As for fat husbands, many a wife supports them in preference to being supported by another and less agreeable man. THE PRETTIEST TYPE When a woman becomes engaged, her friends all inquire, What does he do? But when a man's engagement is announced, everyone asks, What does she look like? So it is small wonder that men have placed prettiness near the top of the list, and the alimentive woman is the prettiest of all types. This little fact must not be overlooked when searching for the causes which have prompted so many of the world's wealthiest men to marry them. Other men may have to content themselves with plain wives, but the man of means can pick and choose, and every man prefers a pretty wife to a plain one. Feminine prettiness, not beauty, consists of the rosebud mouth, the baby eyes, the cute little nose, the round cheeks, the dimpled chin, etc., all more or less monopolized by the alimentive type. THE WOMANLY TYPE the fat woman's refusal to worry keeps the wrinkles away, and as long as she does not become obese, she remains attractive. Her clinging vine ways make men call her the most womanly type, and even when she tips the scales at two hundred and fifty, they are still for her. Then they say, she looks so motherly. So the fat woman goes through life more loved by men than any other type, and in old age she presents a picture of calmness and domestic serenity that is appealing to everybody. Mary Earliest and Oftenest Being in demand, the alimentive woman marries earlier than any other type. As a widow, the same demand takes her off the marriage market while younger and brainier women pine their lives away in spinsterhood. Look back, and you will recall that it was the pretty, plump girls who had beaux earliest, married earliest, and who, even when left with several children, did not remain widows long. Desirable Traits of Alimentive Wives Next to her sweet disposition, the traits which make the alimentive wife most pleasant to get along with are serenity, optimism, and good cooking. Her Weaknesses Many an alimentive wife loses her husband's love because of her too easy-going habits. Unless controlled, these lead to slovenliness in personal appearance and housekeeping. The Alimentive Wife and Money The alimentive wife usually has her share of the family income because she has the endearing ways that wring it out of hubby. Salespeople everywhere say, we like to see a fat woman coming, for she usually has money, spends it freely, and is easy to please. In Disagreements What they do with their quarrels after they are through with them determines to a great extent the ultimate success of any pair's marriage. Elementive husbands and wives bury the hatchet sooner than other types, and they avoid altercations. Lives Anywhere the alimentive wife offers less resistance to her husband's plans than any other. So when he announces they are moving to some other neighborhood, city, or state, she acquiesces with better grace than other types. Family Friends 
The responsibility of adding new friends to the family rests equally upon each partner in marriage. The average husband, by reason of mingling more with the world, has the greater opportunity, but every wife can and should consider that she owes it to herself, her husband, and her children to contribute her quota. Elementive husbands and wives add their share of new acquaintances to any marriage in which they are partners. The alimentive wife always enjoys having people in to dinner, and the alimentive husband enjoys bringing them. The warmth of hospitality in alimentive homes brings them more friendships than come to other types. Fat man also marries young. The fat man marries young, but for a different reason than the fat woman. The fat man, as you will note, gets a job early in life. From that time on, his services seldom go begging. He makes a good salary earlier than the other types, and is therefore sooner in a position to marry. The Ladies' Man Just as the fat woman is a man's woman, so the fat man is almost invariably a ladies' man. The fat man usually knows women better than any other type, and it is certain that the fat woman knows men. Her record proves it. No fat bachelors. Just as there are few fat old maids, there are few fat bachelors. You can count on the fingers of one hand all the really overweight ones you ever knew. The best provider. Because he makes money easily through the various forms of his superior business qualifications, the average fat man has plenty of money for his family and likes to spend it upon them. He is the best provider of all the types. Fat people are the most lenient parents and usually overindulge their children. The husband who makes a habit for years of sending home crates of the first strawberries, melons, and oranges of the season is a fat one every time. Desirable Traits of Fat Husbands His generous provision for his family and the fact that he is essentially a family man are two desirable traits of the alimentive husband. He depends more on his home than other types, he marries young to have a home, and he is seldom farther away from it than he has to be. It is unfortunate that the one type which makes the best traveling man is more inconvenienced by the absence from home than any other type would be. But he has not submitted silently. All the world knows what a hard life the traveling salesman leads, and how he misses the wife, the kids, and the good home cooking. Weaknesses of Alimentive Husbands The alimentive husband has but one weakness that materially endangers his marital happiness. He is inclined to be too easy and extravagant, and not to save money. Mates for Alimentives Because of his amenability, the alimentive can marry almost any type and be happy. But for fullest happiness, those who are predominantly alimentive, that is, those in whom the alimentive type comes first, should marry, as their first choice, those who are predominantly muscular. The muscular shares the alimentive's ambition to get on in the world, and at the same time adds to the union the practicality which offsets the too easy-going, lackadaisical tendencies of the alimentive. The second choice for the predominantly alimentive should be the one who is predominantly thoracic. These two types have much in common. The brilliance and speed of the thoracic keeps the alimentive looking to his laurels, 
and thus tends to prevent the carelessness which is so great a handicap to the predominantly alimentive. The third choice of the predominantly alimentive may be one who is also predominantly alimentive, but in that case it should be an alimentive muscular or an alimentive cerebral. The last type the pure alimentive should ever marry is the pure cerebral. End of Part 1 of Chapter 6